and continue on what I preached on a couple weeks ago when we had the healing service. Wasn't that cool? Man, the lady with the walker walked in here with fibromyalgia, severe arthritis, some other stuff going on in her hip with a walker, couldn't walk without assistance, walks out carrying her walker. Come on. She had probably what was a broken ankle, had partial healing prior to coming here from uh, his kid laying hands on him, comes here, leaves fully restored and made whole. So that's awesome. Uh, had some shoulders healed, had back pains healed, all kinds of cool stuff. Uh, we know there's going to be some good reports coming really, really soon on some cancer testing. Uh, so Pink Sunday was a good hit. Um, but you know, I, I'm going to preach on this, but the woman with the issue of the with the blood, I'm going to preach on that because God just isn't concerned with physical healing. He wants your whole self healed. He wants all of you restored, your soul, your spirit, and your body. And uh, your mind, everything. He wants it all. So uh, we're going to cover that maybe in a couple weeks. But uh, so we, we emphasize a lot of healing signs and wonders here because we see it. But the greatest miracle of all is Jesus on that cross rising again for eternity and us being able to join him. That's salvation and that's cool. So that is the greatest miracle of all time and uh, still will be, continue to be. But the other stuff's cool too, right? So uh, anyway, I want to just talk to you about you are the leaders. And I uh, just thought it was a great week to just share my heart about you and, uh, and raise up some hope in here and, um, and just some joy again. Everybody say, I want my joy back. <laughs> say it. Say, I'm, I'm getting my joy back. I was reading the Psalms today, I think in the 54th chapter, where uh, David is having the prayer and he's, he had just fallen to Bathsheba and some other things going on in his life. And uh, he's like, God, don't take away your presence. Don't take away your Holy Spirit from me and restore in me the joy of your salvation. And uh, I just kind of want to focus on that because salvation's fun and watching and leading people to salvation is fun too. If you're not having fun, you need to just say, I'm getting my joy back today. So it should be joyful. It should be fun. It's coming to church should be fun. Coming to church, we shouldn't just have to have a program to laugh. I mean, we get the spirit of laughter here, and, and we leave here full of hope, full of joy, full of life, full of victory, and full of the power of the Holy Spirit and the goodness of God. His love, it showers us. It gets inside us. It's our identity. Um, and we are sons and daughters of a living God. Say yes. yes. So you are walking... Miracle machines. You are people that are leading people to salvation. You are people leading people to restored lives, to deliverances, to, to abundant life. That's what God has placed you on this earth to do. He's placed you not just to be a, a vessel, not just to just take up space. Listen, that's just matter. You're more than matter. The Bible says even in Matthew 6, he says, aren't you even more important than a bird? A bird worries about where its next meal is coming from. A, a bird worries and frets and all this stuff. But aren't you more important than a bird? Listen, you're not just matter taking up space. He's called you to be overcomers, more than conquerors. He's called you to be the hope of glory because it's Christ in you. So you are revivalists. And, and you are the leaders of the church. You are the face of the church and you're the face of God. So I just ask you, what are you portraying of God? What are you painting the picture of the perception of God in you? And today I just want to challenge you with a few things and, and talk about this divided life. So the Bible, I'm not going to preach on this, but the Bible talks about a double-minded man. And I'm going to kind of talk about that today because I, I'm going to a training this week for um, 
arson investigation. I'm an arson investigator and fire investigator. And I'm going to a three-day training for a national certification. And there's something that we call in the fire investigation service called a line of demarcation. It's a line where the smoke banks and there's a definite line and it tells you a lot of things. And what you do as a fire investigator and any investigator of anything is you're looking for clues. You're looking for these things that lead you to a hypothesis and possible conclusion of what happened. So there'll be an arrow uh, that will point right to the origin, but in that there's this smoke and there's these lines of demarcation. And I just want to let you know that in our lives, God has not put a line of demarcation where we're one way in the church and we can be another way outside the church. It's not this line to where we're this way on Sunday or a different way on Monday or even Friday night. We are walking revivalists and actually the mission field's out there more so than it's in here. By percentage, there's more people saved in here, I hope, than out there. There's more people that need healing out there than what's in here. But yet, we come in church and we get comfortable and we see these healings, we see these miracles, but we're so afraid to take it to our workplace. We're so afraid of the rejection with the cubicle next to us or the office next to us or, or the guy down the street or, or our neighbor or, or our own family, right? We're so afraid because we have this line of demarcation in our lives to where we have divided who we are as a Christian and who we are as, as a person. See, I'm not Pastor Aaron on Sunday, and then I become Dad on Monday, and I become Fireman on Tuesday. That's, that's not the role. I'm Aaron, son of a living God. And that's who I am. There's not a line of demarcation. See, he washes our walls white as snow. He removed the veil, and he tore it in two to where there's no separation any longer. The veil has been torn in two to where I don't have to go through somebody else to reach the high king. I don't have to pray to somebody else. I don't have to confess to somebody else. I have a full access pass to the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords, and it's an all-access VIP pass, and you have the same one. So he's made us this way, and I was just talking to, to Matt Bix. He got a promotion, and we're going to bless him that he just, man, just shines a huge light at Sinclair College for what he's doing there. And he was telling me what he told him. So anyway, he was telling me what he told the interviewers when they asked about his integrity. He's like, well, I'm a Christian, and you know, I want to make you look well, I want to make the school look well, but God's always watching. See, I can't just come on Sunday and play church. I can't come on Sunday. People know that I'm a minister. People know what I stand for by how I live. Not by what I say, not by how I look, but what and how I live. They see that out of the abundance of my heart, my mouth is speaking. I'm resembling what Christ's character is. Yeah? See, communication is only 10% of the words you actually say. The other 50% is actually your body language. And the 40% is the tone in which you say it. So people, they're seeing a God on the inside of you based on how you're portraying yourself. So I, I've referenced this before in the past. When you're driving behind the guy with the gray hair on the interstate that's going 50, and you're going like this, okay, that, they're not seeing a very friendly Jesus inside of you, are they? Yeah. Or when you're getting checked out of the grocery line, and you're like, come on, hurry up, I'm in a hurry. You may not be saying that, but you're really saying it with your body language. You know? Getting that parking space that's three spaces further than the one you wanted and got ticked off about getting cut off at is probably worth the exercise. It certainly isn't worth losing your witness over. Is it? 
So we, we can't have this line of demarcation where we're these happy people on Sunday and we come into this orange narthex with these beautiful pictures and TVs and we come up, we raise our hands, and then Sunday night we're berating our wife because we're just stupid. Right. Am I the only one that's ever done that? Okay, I'm just getting real with you for a second because we're raising up revivalists in here. And revivalists actually start in here, but they don't stop in here. We are not in a holding cell. We are not in a prison of captivity religion. Okay? You can be as free as you want to be, but it's only as free as how you see Jesus. Because how you see Jesus is the Jesus you're going to portray to everybody around you. Amen. The depth of the revelation of Jesus in you is who you portray around you. So let me get to some notes here because I'm just going... So God, he's desiring to awaken a revival, but he's really just, he, the revival's here. It's in the air. It's in the atmosphere. God is releasing heaven. He is not holding anything back. That's biblical. He withholds nothing for those who seek him. Amen. He withholds nothing from those who seek him. He, he doesn't hold back. It's an open heavens policy. So the only thing he's waiting on is for some people to actually say yes. And see, sometimes it's overwhelming because... We think that we have to be an army and we have to do this together and we have to be unified and all this stuff. If that was the case, then Jesus would have just picked 12 to change the world upside down. He doesn't need an army. He doesn't need 400 people. He doesn't need the mighty 300. He just needs the one. He needs the one to reach the one, to reach the one, to reach the one. It's just one at a time. The kingdom expands one soul at a time. The kingdom is forever changed by one soul at a time. It just takes one person on fire. You know, Peter and Stephen says they weren't educated men. They didn't have a title. They weren't there for a promotion. They weren't there to become a pastor. They weren't there for this, for this responsibility. They said that they were just on fire for Jesus. They had, could tell they had been with who? Jesus. There was something burning bright on the inside of them. And that's the point. A revivalist needs to burn bright without burning out. Amen. And that's where the love of God comes in because once the love of God baptized me and I was never the same, I'd never burn out. I got really close. We were building this building. My mom had passed away. I was youth pastoring. I was taking over the financial uh, budgeting and roles of the church. We were filling in for dad and mom. And as she passed away, we were intern pastoring, still pastoring the youth, still leading men's groups and all these different things. And I literally was mentoring 17 men at that time. Besides everything else, I was doing working full time and just had my third baby. Somebody's like, well, I don't have time to minister. Oh, come on. I was also getting a full time degree. <laughs> you have time for what you make time for. And, and you can't sit here and say that we haven't experienced hardship. We've experienced hardship. No one has experienced the same hardship on this earth. No one. Everybody's story's different. Everybody's circumstance is different. Everybody's hardship's different. But we've experienced hardship. So here we, we're going through this, and I'm, I'm just burning out. I'm done. I'm checking out. I'm just like, I'm done. I don't even like church anymore. I don't like the system of church. I don't like the thought of church. I don't like this building. I'm sick of seeing this building. I'll be honest with you. We're putting up these lights, and I just got sick of seeing this place. It's beautiful, isn't it? I got sick and tired of it being here until 2, 3 in the morning, missing every meal with my kids, missing bedtime every night with my kids for a solid year. I got sick, but I was burning out until the baptism of love took place in my life. So Jesus, he's, and I'm going to get back to the word here, but Jesus, he's baptized, and I just want to reiterate what's been spoke here and what's been preached by Lave and even myself, but Jesus is baptized by John the Baptist. Give me a second. 
I'll get you out of here soon. I'm not going to put a time limit on it, though. Cool? So Jesus is baptized. There's this debate. Finally, he, let, he forces John the Baptist, essentially, to baptize him. Comes up out of the water. The heavens open up. The dove descends, rests on Jesus. The Holy Spirit rests on Jesus. And the, the Father says this. This is my beloved Son, who I'm well pleased. So Jesus, around 30 years old, hadn't, hadn't preached uh, the Sermon on the Mount, hadn't, hadn't ministered, hadn't raised the dead, hadn't, hadn't healed blind eyes or deaf ears yet, hadn't died on a cross, hadn't done anything, right? But here's the Father saying, this is my beloved Son who I'm well pleased. See, this is, this is saying, just be loved, Son. I'm proud of you. You're my boy. So then the first temptation, he goes from that picture up to be tempted and he's in 40 days of prayer and fasting. And the first temptation, the enemy questions his identity twice. He says, the first and second temptation questions identity. If you are the Son of God, then do this. If you are the Son of God, fall off this. You know, so he's saying these things that if you're the Son of God, he's saying, if you really are the Son, prove it. And Jesus is saying, you know, you don't live off of bread. He's saying these responses that I'm a Son. You're not questioning my identity. But I want to take you to the third temptation. See, because everything's connected. Everything in the kingdom is connected. Amen. How many have done the iPhone or the iOS 8 update? Hallelujah. Hallelujah. <laughs> so we did the iOS 8 update, right? So we're at home, and my phone's ringing, Nicole's phone's ringing, our iPads are ringing, and it's all from the same number. And we're like, what's going on? Some of these bell tones turned up or something? <laughs> so... They're all connected, right? So anyway, they're all ringing. And I'm like, what in the world? And then we take pictures, right? And we get home and they're on our Apple TV. And it's like pictures of Nicole having the baby. It's like we're like, got to get these out of there because the cloud's everywhere. By the time we get home, those pictures are already airing on our TV. And we're like, we got, we got people coming over. She's nursing right there, you know? So anyway, we're like, it's so connected. And I just, I felt that in my heart to preach this message about being connected and not having this line of demarcation because revivalists, they don't care what title they have. They don't care what anybody else is doing. They don't care about if they have a, a responsibility at the church. All they care about is the heart of the kingdom and winning the lost. They care about the Father. They care about pleasing the Father. They care about being beloved sons and daughters. And they just care about burning bright without burning out. So then here we come to the scripture of the third temptation. It's Matthew 4, 8 through 11. Everybody say, this is good. And it's fun. Say that. It's fun. I've been sitting at home this week just eating. And I'm like winded right now. I'm like, man, I gotta get back on that treadmill. This is bad. Good thing we're, I'm not leaving worship today. I could not be able to jump or dance. Or... All right, so it says Matthew 4 8 through 11. Again, the devil took him up on an exceedingly high mountain and showed him all the kingdoms. Say kingdoms. No. You notice it's not a capital K. Many of us stop at the kingdoms and we, we, we settle for them. Because we're not having the big picture kingdom in mind. Come on. Elijah, and when he was leading Elisha, Elisha was tested many times to stop at the cities and be their leader. But he wanted the double portion. See, many of us, we stop shorthanded of what God's 
full intention of our purposes. See, his no is actually just a yes building interest. But many of us, we get frustrated with the no and we take things in our own hand and we end up with these Ishmaels in our lives. So see, the kingdoms, we can't just stop at the temptation of the kingdoms with the lowercase k and all this, all these signs and wonders and all this stuff and the material things and these positions. We've got to wait out and hold out for the yes interest that says big K kingdom, right? So anyway, he says this, carrying on. All these things I will give you if you will fall down and worship me. So, so let's go back. He showed him all the kingdoms of the world and their glory. And he said to him, all these things I will give you if you will fall down and worship me. Now I want to focus on Jesus' reply here. It says, then Jesus said to him, away with you, Satan. For it is written, you shall worship the Lord your God and him only you shall serve. Say worship and serve. Say, worship and work. Then the devil left him, and behold, angels came and ministered to him. See, Jesus corrected him right there. said, there is not a line of demarcation. I don't worship here and serve here. I am not Pastor Aaron. I am not Son Aaron on this day. I am not Father Aaron on this day. I am not Fireman Aaron on this day. It's all one. So the Lord God, you will worship and serve. It's not this line. So many of us, we go into this Monday morning thing and we forget what happened on Sunday. And it's like we forget that we just laid hands on a lady who lost her walker for her lifetime. Amen. We forget we laid hands on that back that had been down with scoliosis since 12 years old for 40 some years and now straightened up with no more pain. And then we get scared because we're afraid of rejection on Monday at our workplace. Come on, Come on somebody. Yeah. It's Christ in you, the hope of glory. That's what makes it all fun. There's no pressure for me because be loved, son. I'm well pleased. You've not ministered. You've not done anything. Listen, it's not about what you do. It's about who you are. More so, it's about whose you are. So anyway, we go, see, you can teach information. You can even lead people into a revelation. Right? You agree with me. But transformation requires an encounter with God. But we think that's off limits for us and that's only God. The encounter itself and the transformation itself is only God, yes. But we can lead people and put an appetizing God in front of them and increase an appetite of hunger. Amen. If I'm dangling the right Jesus in front of somebody and they're experiencing the radical love of God, they're going to say yes to it. And it's not going to come through arguing. And it's not going to come through information. Listen, the devil was quoting the word to Jesus through the temptations. Yes. I know so many atheists and agnostics. I was one of them who know the word. I knew the word inside and out. I was raised in church, but got hurt by religion and became an agnostic. So, but I knew the word. It wasn't going to come through arguing that changed my life. It came through a radical experience and an encounter with God that came to a transformation in my life. Amen. But it came through somebody believing in me. It came through somebody that actually poured into me. It came from me saying yes, but I didn't say yes yet. That's a funny thing. Last week, a couple weeks ago when I preached, I pointed out that the person that was at the pool of Bethesda and, and he was, couldn't walk, Jesus, before he was even delivered, said, pick up your mat and walk. He gave him responsibility before he ever even was delivered or healed fully. We're afraid to do that here in America, church. So anyway, see, the moment you believe in Jesus, you get saved. 
Amen. But the moment that you realize Jesus believes in you, you get transformed. Amen. Let, me, let me say that again. The moment you believe in Jesus, you get saved. But the moment you know Jesus believes in you, you get transformed. Amen. And we need to lead people to a Jesus who knows he believes in you. Amen. We need to lead others and our friends and our family and the people around us and the waiter or the waitress and all these people around us into a relationship with a Jesus who believes in them, Amen. who loves them. For a God that whosoever loved the whole world. A God that who loved the whole world. The entire world. And whoever believes in him will not perish. But what? Have eternal life. Have an everlasting life. Listen, you can't separate eternity. We live in eternity and we live from eternity. You can't separate being from doing. You can't separate working from doing. You can't separate it. We're in and from. We're beginning and ending, Right? So the good news is that we can offer people an opportunity to encounter Jesus because it's Christ in us, the hope of glory. Um, go with me, Colossians 1.27. And uh, I'm wrapping up here real soon. Say, so I'm a revivalist. Come on, say, I'm a revivalist. I'm a minister. Say that. You have a sphere of influence among you within your culture that no one else has. Each one of you have a sphere of influence. You have a, a network that not one other person can mimic. You have the ability to reach people in your network, in your sphere of influence, in the grocery store you go to, in the mom's group you're a part of, in the workplace where you are, in the school where you are, that no one else has an access or a voice in. You are a revivalist. It's time that we say yes. So Colossians 1.27, it says this. It says, to them God willed to make known what are the riches of the glory of the mystery among the Gentiles. We're going to reveal the mystery of God. And it's not just for the Jews. It's not just for this group. It's also for the Gentiles. And it says, which is. This is the key to the mystery. This is what reveals the mystery of God. This is what reveals the goodness of God. This is what gives people the access to a perception of a living father. Not a judgmental God. If you view God as a judge, you're going to reveal a judgmental God. If you view God as only a judge, you're going to be a condemning Christian that only reveals a condemning God. It's time to reveal a loving father, not an administrator of an orphanage. Okay, so he says, which is, this is the key, which is Christ in you, the hope of glory. Is Christ in you, the hope of glory. You are to bring hope to the nations. You're to bring hope to the hopeless. You're to bring hope to the hard-hearted. You're to bring hope to the physical and the, the, the mental and the spiritual depleted. Come on, if we... Out of the abundance of the heart, the mouth speaks. I just told you it's only 10% of the words you say. This says a lot more than this. God is good. Your mouth is a reflection of your heart. So what's your mouth looking like? Or I'm a Christian. I have the ink on the back of my car to prove it. 
and I wear a bracelet that says WWJD. Yeah, I don't want that God. I grew up not wanting that God. I want a loving Father who's revealing himself to the nations, who's, who's revealing himself in kindness. It's the goodness of God that leads what? Men to repentance. It's the goodness of God. So, so these miracles aren't just the salvation part. That's not what it is. But it's leading two people to salvation. When we experience the tangible nature of God, and we see somebody get radically healed, and it's in our church, we should be on Facebook bragging about that rather than dwelling in our problems. We should be bragging about the service that we have and how we had a glory cloud or how we had this or we, a lady had gold dust all over her. Amen. How do you explain that? I can't explain it. I don't know. How, how do I show up on a prayer night and my hand is covered in oil? My left hand covered in oil. I didn't put lotion on. I didn't touch anything. I was sitting in a chair right back in the back there by Jeremy and Rachel and I was just sitting there praying. I, all of a sudden, there's, my hand is oozing with oil. How do you explain that? I don't know, but I know this. It's allowing me to know how real God is in my life, and I want Amen. others to experience the realness of Him in their life. Amen. So, Romans 10, 14 through 15. Why do I go to Mexico? Why do I go to Cuba? Why am I going to Malaysia and Vietnam? Why are we reaching out locally, nationally, and internationally? Because of this. How then shall they call on Him who they have not believed. Everybody say November 15th. <laughs> say Saturday, 9 a.m. Here's what we're going to do. Okay, how then shall they call on him whom they have not believed? And how shall they believe in him of whom they've not heard? And how shall they hear without a preacher? Say, I'm a preacher. I'm a preacher. Get rid of titles. Right? Get rid of them. We're all preachers. We're all ministers. We're all revivalists. Right? Amen. And how shall they preach unless they are sent? And it is written, how beautiful are the feet of those who preach the gospel of peace. Who bring glad tidings of good things. Amen. Come on. Job went through so much in the Bible. And Paul, Paul, in Hebrews, you read through this chapter in Hebrews, and it's like, I went through this, I went through this, I was shipwrecked, I was, I was stoned, I was this. I was, I'm like, holy cow. And then you read through what some of the others went through. And, and I'll be honest with you, I called Lamb a couple weeks ago, and I was just kind of boo-hooing. And he told me, he said, read that chapter. I read that chapter, and I felt like a big sissy. I did. And if you read Job, you're going to feel like the same thing. But then at the end of Job, he rejoices. Amen. And you have James saying, count it all joy, the trials you go through. Listen, people are watching you when things are going good, and people are watching you when things are going bad. Amen. What God do you serve, though? Where's your trust? Where's your faith? I want to reveal a good God that even through the bad, even when my wife lost half her blood in three seconds, trust you, God. Yeah. Your blood yeah. paid for this. Yeah. This is kind of cool to watch. Okay, it totally wasn't. But... But you see what I'm saying? I'm just totally trusting in God. I didn't, I didn't blast out a one call now. I just I didn't have time for that. I didn't have time to, to cry on this media or that media or do anything. I, I had time to sit here and say, your blood Amen. in Jesus' name. You covered it. You paid it in full. You yes. paid the full price on the cross. I don't even have to worry about it. Yes. 
gonna work it out. He's gonna work it out. Say that say he's gonna work it out. He's gonna work it out. He is gonna work it out. Whatever your problem is, whatever your marital problem is, listen, we get caught up in the tiny things that are going on in our life, the tiny things in church, to where then salvation is no longer joyful. We're caught up in the problems, so return to me the joy of the salvation. Return to me the joy of coming to church. Return to me the joy of serving you, God, because I'm trusting you, and I have faith in you, and you're going to work it out. I sit here and rest, and I sit here and trust, and I sit here in perfect peace, because God, I know you're going to work it out. So that's the God I'm portraying to everybody around us. You're in a church where the mission statement is this. Repeat after me. To reveal... The goodness of God to everyone, everywhere. That's the mission of Upper Room, to reveal the goodness of God to everyone, everywhere. Very simple. Does it mean you'll never go through anything bad? No. Does it mean you'll never go through anything trying or troublesome or there won't be a trial? No. But guess what? God says His grace is sufficient for every need. His grace is sufficient no matter what you're going through, no matter what your bank account says, no matter what your marriage looks like. My wife and I, eight years ago, had the attorneys on the phone for our divorce. It looked bad, but what's faith? It's things hoped for, not just seen. Things may look ugly. The faith of things hoped for. That's the revivalists that we're raising up in here. The revivalists knowing that God is a good God. No matter what I'm going through, God is good. And He's good all the time. And all the time. Hallelujah. Let's finish this up. The band can come. We're a great commission church. I think it's Matthew 28 that talks about the great commission. One of my favorite versions is Mark 16. And I read this two weeks ago. You can research it. You can, you can read it. But these things should accompany those who believe. These things, one verse says, these things will follow those who believe. And it, it lists through these things. They will, they will lay hands on the sick and they will recover. Yes. You know, they will drink of deadly poison. It won't harm them. You know, they will cast out demons. All right, this is Bible talk. This is not, this is not some, some fake story that was made up and, and some literature professor released. This is real Bible. We're afraid to cast out demons because we've never seen it done in the church. But here it's saying, hey, it's for all the believers. Amen. I've cast out demons. They're ugly. They stink. And there's usually vomit involved. I've seen healings. I've laid hands on now probably thousands of people and seen radical things happen. Hands were withered up like this from arthritis in an 80-year-old woman. I've been able to do that in 30 years. I've seen this stuff. Why? Because I have an expanded faith because I read about it. And I know the Bible says this, that greater things than Jesus did, I can do. John 14, greater things than I did, you can do because I go to my father. And guess what? We're adopted into the same family. He's our father. So we're adopted by the spirit of adoption. Let's see if there's anything else here. It's very easy to be qualified. Why don't you stand with me? Right now. Here in a minute, I'm going to ask Michael to come and he's going to call out some words of knowledge and, uh, and people will be healed and all that. 
But right now, I just I want to pray corporately for you first. And, and by the way, if you don't call out your word of knowledge, or if you don't say what might be wrong with you, or just call out you and come on up. And then our leaders and the URSSM students will come in behind you and pray for you. And uh, we'll do a full assessment like a doctor, because we are physician's assistants, right? As revivalists, we are physician's assistants, and that's just who we are. But here's the deal. The qualifications of a revivalist is really easy. Mark 16 really says it plain. These signs will accompany those who uh, believe. The believers, and it says the believers will do this and this will happen. Yes. Say, I'm a believer. Therefore, I'm a revivalist. Listen, this, this world, and I, you know, we can look at the world as a problem, but I look at the world as a promise. It's not a problem that we've inherited. It's an opportunity of a promise we get to solve. At least be a part of it. We don't even have to do this. We're not the solution. We're just part of the solution. We're the avenue to the solution, right? And, and that, that's just a cool thing. Is that God's created this dynamic where the world needs Him. And He desires the world to know Him. That's biblical. It says that Jesus desires a whole world to know Him. To actually call Him by name. We need to just be confident in who we are. So the qualification is easy, but there's some core values that I just want to share with you. And, and uh, I've talked to Lave a lot and a lot of different revivalists. When a revivalist comes here, man, I believe in impartation. I do. I believe in impartation. Paul talks about it. Matter of fact, you know, Paul talks that, you know, he would send people. He'd lay hands on them, then send them. And we've got a lot of renegades out there that, listen, I'm releasing all of you to revivalists. But if you're not covered by somebody, or you're not submitted to somebody, or you're not serving somebody, you become really dangerous. That's just biblical. Jesus modeled something. And he modeled the disciples, and, and they were followers before they were ever leaders. They were followers before they were ever leaders. They were sons before they were fathers. And that's just biblical. So a lot of us, we got these renegade attitudes, and we just want to go, 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 go. And that's cool, and I, I love that. And I'd rather have to pull you back a little bit then have to put a, a brand in your rear end to get you to go. It's the truth. It's way easier to pull you back than to try to get somebody passionate. So my number one core value is first off, somebody that's been transformed by love. Somebody's been transformed. God is love, so God. Somebody's been transformed by God. Next is somebody who's passionate. I can't teach passion. I can't instill passion. I believe in impartation, but I've realized this over the several years that I've been doing this. I can't ignite passion in somebody. God has to do that. But here's some other core values is, is love, loyalty, commitment, integrity, and honor. But the number one for me is a good follower. A good follower later makes a good leader. And there's so many people that are out doing their own thing. And, 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 and you know, the Bible talks about a lot of false prophets. And you know, we, we were, I was pushing for the life groups earlier. And you know, they're just awesome. You need to get in one. But everybody has something within you that no one else has. God put a DNA in you. And the enemy wants to question your identity. He wants to take you up on that mountain and he wants to question your identity. He wants to say, well, if you're the daughter of God, if you're the son of God, then do this. Listen, God's saying you don't have to do that. You don't have to test him. You don't have to prove him to anybody. You don't have to argue him to anybody. You just have to reveal him. 
That's it. You just have to reveal him. Listen, God doesn't need me. He just likes me. He doesn't need me. He just likes me a lot. He doesn't, he doesn't need you. He just likes you. Even through distraction, he likes you. Even through distraction, he wants you. Even through circumstances and trials, he wants you. And if you're thinking you're a zero, you're the perfect making of a hero. I studied the 12 disciples. Isn't it crazy? God, Jesus knew that two were going to totally betray him. One was going to totally sell him out. One was going to deny him three times. And he still loved them unconditionally. He still poured all of himself out to them. Isn't that cool? They were 12 rejects of society. They were 12, honestly, you know, I don't mean this disrespectful, but I can't think of a better word in, in terms of today. They were 12 idiots. They were like the 12 stooges of culture. But Jesus, he used them and he saw the gold in them. And that's what he sees in you. He sees that you're beloved sons and daughters. So he's saying, don't be a human doing, be a human being, be loved son and daughter. It's your identity. And then he's saying, don't have a line of demarcation in your life. Be a revivalist and be it all the way to your family, to your workplace, to your church. And serve. Come into a submission of a covering of a leader in this church. Come into the submission of a covering and be a disciple to make disciples. You look at David and you look at all the great men in the Bible. They all have the same thing in common. They were followers before they were leaders. They knew how to worship God. And they trusted and had faith in God. And every breakthrough that the Bible had, that's, they had that in common. I've studied them. I've studied revivalists of even modern day revivals. They all had that same thing. Many of them go unnoticed before they ever even die. Or after. They go unnoticed before they die. Many of them become popular. They become like Nash and those guys. He was a no one. He was a nobody. He went and he interceded and he, and he would go spend weeks in a, in, a, in a room, a hotel room, for revival to break through in this area of, of Finney, you know? And no one even knew his name until he was dead. Jesus, man, he was the perfect example from zero to hero. I was just picturing this today and I'm closing right now. We always try to get out of here about 1230 or 1 and with all the programs today, it's, it's fine, but we'll get you out. Listen, Jesus, I was picturing, you know, he, he got up people in a whirlwind and the, the you know, the eunuch was, was taken up and, and all these things. And I'm thinking, man, Jesus could have came into the earth any way he wanted. He could have come in ruling and reigning as a king, right? At any time. When Saul was being an idiot, he could have just placed himself on that throne right then, right? And he, and he would have made himself known as Messiah to everybody. The Jews and everybody and all these other religions that haven't really seen Jesus as Messiah yet. He could have made it a lot more plain, but there's this mystery about him. But he wanted to come in as a, just a nobody, just a zero, a flesh form of God that experiences pain, that experiences hurt, that experiences emotion. And I'm just saying, if Jesus can do it, we're, it's supposed to be Christ in us, the hope of glory. We're supposed to be Christ-like. We can't give salvation, but we can lead people to him. Right? And that might be through a healing. It might be through just caring about something. It might be through just a random act of kindness. It might just be a demonstration of love. Whatever that is. Alright, so I just, I just, I want to do this. I want to ordain each and every one of you today. It's just I want to impart the ordination of revivalists. 
I want to just ordain you to be ministers, ordain you to be the believers that are laying hands on the sick, that are casting out demons, that are that are just wrecking this community upside down. What would it look like if another Acts church would arise? What would that look like? Man, where tomorrow 3,000 people are added to the kingdom in one sitting. What would that look like? What would it look like if one of you stood up in your high school? What would it look like if one of you stood up in your corporate world? What would it look like if one of you stood up in the government realm of the influence you're in at Right Path? What would it look like? What would that look like to see revival in this Tri-County, this Miami Valley, whole entire region? What would it look like to see thousands added daily? What would that look like? I love dreaming about that. I love picturing a, a welcome stadium or a UD arena or a Hobart arena filled up with just the passion of God and revival taking place. I dream about that. I call and I ask how much it would be to rent the place. I'm not joking. I know what it costs to rent Hobart Arena. Because I dream of this. What would it look like for 4,000 people to be hunger, hungry for you and awakened for you? And revival and healings and just salvation being added thousands daily. What would that look like, church? There's around 200 people in here. If each of you reach 10, that's 2,000 people tomorrow. 2,000! That's tangible. That's that's you. We could double in size next week if you each brought one. Just think of that. That's easy to think about. One. Think about one. And if you did it, ten out of twelve months of the year, there'd be over two thousand people in this place, hungry for a living God. So God, right now, just just open your hands like a gift. Just open those up like a gift. God, I pray for an awakening of revival in this place. I pray for an awakening of your love. I pray right now for a commissioning of your great commission right now. I pray for an ordination of revivalists to rise up and say yes. I pray right now for the Stephens and the Peters and the Jameses and the Johns and the, the, the sons of thunder to arise right now. I pray for an ordination of the Pauls to come out of persecution and come out of, of being parts of martyring people. And God, I'm just saying yes to revealing your love. We say yes, God. I just pray for an impartation of your empowerment, of your spirit, of your power to be real in our lives. I pray right now for a yes generation. I pray right now for a Joshua generation to arise and take this thing to the next level. To see thousands added daily. To see encounters happen one at a time in our workplaces, in our homes, with our grandkids, God. I pray for a good perception of the reality of your character, God. I pray right now that fathers will arise. Fathers will turn their hearts to their children and love them with affection. Listen, I want to pray for that specifically right now. I just feel that in my heart. Right now, you cannot affirm your kids enough, fathers. You cannot say enough that you're proud of your kids. Amen. You cannot love them more unconditionally than what you can, are capable of. So right now, I just pray for the fathers, spiritual and natural in this place, that turn their hearts to the children and shower their children with affection. Shower their children with intimacy. That shower their children with admiration, God. And mothers, God, that, that just nurture and love and be that patriarch. God, we take off the weight of the pressure in this place. We take off the weight of the pressure to perform and do and work. 
just to be, God. Just to be. Just to be. Just to be.